Hello and welcome back to Music Industry 360, brought to you by Symphonic. This is Randall Foster. I'm Chief Creative Officer here at Symphonic, and I'm sitting here today uh, live and in color with the great Johnny Cloherty. Johnny is the founder of a social media influencer marketing company called Songfluencer. Welcome, Johnny. I'm so happy to have you here today. Pumped to be here. Pumped. Did I did I describe it right? You described it, described it perfectly. Okay, yeah. great. Um, so as we've done with our other executive profiles we're going to talk a little bit about where Johnny comes from so we, we can know where he's going um, Johnny is a graduate of Belmont University um, after graduating from that esteemed program he spent a fair amount of time at WME on the agency side of things worked for a period of time at Triple Eight management and also uh, was pretty highly steeped in digital marketing before spinning out onto his own with song Influencer. Johnny, you know, we all have different motivations as we get into this business. We're all obviously here because we love what we do. But um, can you tell us, just give us a little bit of your origin story musically. What brought you to the business? What made the business exciting, attractive for you, um, for you to stick through it this long to get to the point where you're actually a proprietor of your own company in the space? Yeah, well, uh, early on I actually played music. Uh, I learned to play drums when I was about 12. My grandfather and a lot of my uh, family members were all musicians. And uh, when I told my mom I wanted to learn how to play music, she asked my uncle to take my grandfather's drum set out of storage and send it to Las Vegas, where I'm from, and uh, learn to play drums through the years, through my teenage years, got to pick up, got to play guitar, bass, learned a few things. So that was really like the start of me understanding music. Uh, after high school, moved to Austin, Texas. I played in a lot of different bands, rock and roll, punk rock. Uh, Austin is a great city. It's probably one of my favorites in the US. Uh, started to realize I was thinking more about my future and I was in a lot of bands that uh, I was primarily there because I was the babysitter. You know, I was, I was that guy that was the one getting everyone to practice, trying to write songs, worrying about how to get music on MySpace. And at that time, you were a digital strategist if you knew how to get music on MySpace. So started to realize that there was a, uh, there might have been a business here, went to some community college, heard, out, heard about Belmont and transferred over here in Nashville. I had no idea what I was going to do, but as soon as I quickly after getting here, I kind of realized that uh, uh, the people here are really good at guitar and really good at drums. And so I said, hey, I can work with you as opposed to like being in the band with you. And so that's really how my my trajectory on the business side took off because people here are so talented. And frankly, I wasn't that good. <laughs> well, it's definitely the, the, the bar to, for entry here musically is a little higher than it is in, in your average city. I mean, Austin's fantastic for live music um totally but i would still i would put most of our session people against anyone uh, worldwide person. oh they're they're insane here you, you just they were born with it you know yeah. Absolutely. So, so you 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 had the fire in your belly, the passion for music. You went to Belmont. You got done at Belmont, and your first gig was at WME. Correct. As, as an aside, 
I once interviewed for a job at WMA. Oh, wow. I was I was a finalist for an agent and training position there <laughs> before Endeavor was attached to it. But um, but tell us about that experience because I, obviously William Morris Endeavor is you know very very for most people at, at the very top echelon of, of of what an agency can and is can be and is. Um, how was your experience there? How long were you there? I was there for almost a little over five years. Um, started off in the mailroom. Uh, I interned there my first, uh, my last semester of college. They called me, asked me if I wanted a full-time gig. So, you know, I started from the from the mailroom up. If anyone's heard that story in the music biz about the mailroom, that was what I did. Set up meetings, coffee runs, get yelled at all the time. You know, just sit in the mailroom till 10 o'clock at night trying to figure out paperwork issues for assistance and uh, uh, they after a little bit they promoted me to assistant and you know the rest is really history I worked for a bunch of different agents I got to work for a Christian music agent that was kind of fascinating because I knew nothing about that that was my first desk I was on uh, it, really my passion was to move over to the country space so did that uh, and was over in country music for four and a half years made the agent trainee program was going through that trajectory and I, I love loved William Morris. I loved the live side and we can get to this in a bit, but you know, I do have a passion one day to combine, you know, where I'm at with creator marketing and the touring side of things. Cause that's still something that pulls on my heartstrings a lot. So you pivoted at that point towards triple eight and management. Yeah. Well, uh, my last year and a half, uh, my boss at the time, Braden Roundtree signed Kane Brown and I got to see the rise of Kane early on. I got to see also, he was working with another artist called Granger Smith. Uh, both artists really took off on social media and it led to their ability to leverage what was going on from a social standpoint to hard ticket sales uh, at clubs and eventually amphitheaters. But what was cool about that was I was like, man, this is this is awesome to book these shows, but I want to get in the trenches and, and be a part of replicating this again in the future. And how do I do that? And uh, over time, I, I realized that it was going to be really difficult for me to be a part of those stories on the on the booking side. So I thought, I think I need to be in management. I think that is where I'm going to experience that challenge challenge and be able to find those scenarios where I can apply my passion to create these social moments and create this craziness of social media and apply it to touring and, and fan development. That's that's really great. How long were you at Triple Eight, and, and who did you it, work with? What I, are you proudest of? Yeah, I, wor I worked under Bruce Kalmick there. We worked on a couple of different artists. Uh, primarily, it was a bunch of development stuff. Um, Hannah Dasher was one of them that I worked with, uh, and it was great. I, I definitely loved managing, but really, almost at the same time, I joined triple a is when I started to play around with influencer marketing. Uh, I started to look at what artists were needing and a lot of artists were calling me saying, Hey, can, do you know anyone that could get me on playlists? And that was always the thing in, in like 2015, 2016. And then that started to evolve into, Hey, do you know anyone that could tweet about my new song? Do you got anyone that could Snapchat what I'm doing? Do you got anyone that could post this on Instagram? And then out of, you know, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, no, I don't know, but out of my mouth for whatever reason, I said yes, every time. <laughs> so really at the same time, like I was, I was climbing, you know, with Triple Eight and Bruce, I went on to 
start Songfluencer without really calling it Songfluencer. I was just saying, hey, if you're an artist and, and you need help, I've got some influencers. So I started to have friends and publishers and other artists and other managers call me and say, hey, I saw what you're doing for X artist. Can you do that for me? In the back of my head, once again, I'm thinking no, but out of my mouth, I just kept saying yes. Well, necessity is the mother of all invention. Yeah. And, and obviously at a time, I think, especially in Nashville at that time, I don't think many other people were focusing on, on being the conduit for those, those conversations. So out of, out of that necessity was, was your digital marketing push and, and really the origins of Songfluencer, which brings us here today. Um, do you want to give us the, the elevator pitch on yeah, Songfluencer yeah, yeah. so that everyone listening has an idea of what it is you all really do best? Right. So Songfluencer is a tech-enabled influencer marketing agency that specializes in short form video. Uh, short form video is TikTok, Instagram Reels, YouTube Shorts. Uh, once again, the name is Songfluencer, so you guessed it right. We promote songs. Um, over the last four years of existence, we've promoted over 3,000 different projects. Um, we've worked with over nearly 15,000 influencers at this point. Uh, there isn't a genre that we haven't worked with. Uh, we've done artists big, artists small. I've worked with the likes of Ed Sheeran, Bruno Mars, The Weeknd, and I've done baby artists and, and helped them rise to, you know, having great moments on short form as well. So there really isn't a whole lot we haven't touched from a TikTok marketing standpoint. There isn't a whole lot of this kind of short form TikTok influencer meet song that hasn't crossed our desk in, in a certain capacity. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really what it is. That's pretty fascinating because I, I don't know of a lot of players in that space, even today. <clears throat> we all, in this industry, TikTok and, and the prevalence of, of user-generated content being a major driver is so important. I mean, it's one of the drivers we ask for internally when we're going to go advocate to the DSPs for our clients. But the question is always how, <laughs> how do we, how do we get them in, interested and, and what's the, you know, what's the ROI there? What would you say for, you know, you probably don't know the gross marketing budgets of, of the artists you're working with, but without naming any names, what, what percentage of marketing budget currently would you think influencer marketing is for, for your average mid-level mid rising star? Well, let me say this. I, I, first off, I think it's going to be changing, increasing uh, over the next year, two years for sure. Uh, percentage is hard because I think labels are, are especially in the last year or two, are being a, a little bit more intentional about how they spend. There's certain artists that they know uh, are going to be more impactful in the TikTok community. So they think, you know, do we really want to spend 20% of our marketing budget over here if it's just not, if this artist doesn't connect? Or maybe we want to spend 50% because every time we do something on TikTok with this artist, it takes off. So it does change it does kind of it's it's really fluid a lot of times between the digital market i mean there's there's never been a time where a and r and digital marketing has been so intertwined and i think talking to a lot of digital digital marketers at labels they're they're considering the song maybe this artist hasn't connected well on tiktok in the past but this new song the this new 15 second moment of this song 
maybe that impacts and we're going to make a bet on that. So that could really change how they view budgets. Yeah. No, it's interesting. You said that this little 15 second moment, because I've, I've spoken with artists left and right where, you know, they'll say, well, I don't know what to put up on TikTok. And, and, and I, you know, I, I think that in every song there might be 10 moments. There might be 10 zeitgeist moments of a turn of phrase or a cool double entendre or just a sweet beat um, that would present options. And, and obviously there's, there's better options and less good options, but it's, it's really fascinating to, to watch and to be a part yeah. of picking out that timestamp is an art form. Yeah. You know, it is, it's, it's not an exact science, but that is an art form. How much do you all weigh in on, on that? So it, it took us about a year of this business for us to figure out that that needed to be part of a service that we offered. So that's included in part of every single time someone approaches us and they tell us, Hey, we want to, you know, work with you guys on a project. We give them, uh, at least one timestamp suggestion, if not more, uh, we give them a creative call to action. So, okay, once we have the timestamp, what are we going to have creators on platform do? What's going to be the thing that they post? Mm -hmm. uh, and then a target list of which creators that we would hire to use that snippet of the song and what we're going to have them post. So we work through all of that and we realize that that is a critical aspect of what we do because a lot of marketers, it's not their... It, it, it's not their their unique talent. It's not their skill set to know which part of a song is going to work on short form. Yeah. No, I wouldn't imagine. Um, how prevalent are unified hashtags across these posts? Is that something you are you're all utilizing at all? You know, I, we don't really encourage hashtags in the sense of hiring influencers and using hashtags if the if the thought is. If they use these hashtags, if they use hashtag Randall Foster, is that naturally going to make that post better? No, it's not. Well, I mean, I might be biased <laughs> on that. I, I, mean, I think it would be pretty neat. Uh, if, <clears throat> that being said, if you use a trending hashtag that's featured on like the TikTok trending hashtag uh, dashboard, that can that can increase the engagement of a post. But you know, if if TikTok is pushing dishwasher detergent hashtag one day, does it make sense for the influencer you hired to use hashtag dishwasher detergent? I, I don't know. That's really up to you. Yeah. And you actually, you know, you mentioned the trending report. You, I get your newsletter because I saw ah, it. Okay. And, and I, I find your newsletter, the Songfluencer newsletter folks is really, really good. And it's not just an advertisement for Songfluencer. It's actually, there's some really good bona fide analytical material in yeah. there. Um, I think it's a real service you're doing in the community. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, I, a real a really good friend of mine, Michael Sloan, he always taught me a long time ago to be a thought leader as opposed to like just a salesperson. And that has always really stuck to me. And so thinking through a lot of the marketing tactics that we've deployed with Songfluencer, I, I want to give great information to people. And at the end of the day, if people want to, you know, do influencer marketing themselves or hire our competitors or do whatever, that's totally fine. I, I'm all about it. There's people out there that do great work, but I want people to come to us that know that we know what we're talking about and there's no one better in our space that knows more about this specific area of the music business. That's awesome. And that's for those that are listening, they can just go to songfluencer.com and sign up for that, right? Oh yeah. 
yeah, anyone can sign up for the newsletter. If you want to like Venmo me a dollar or two, you know, you can do that too. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the so you know, right now we have a kind of a finite number of targets for you. When you think about it, you've got your your TikTok and you know your YouTube Shorts, etc. Um, obviously, when TikTok was up in the air about whether it was going to continue to exist a year or two ago, Triller came back into the space and became more and more important. Um, where, where do you see competitors coming in with regards to the 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 I, the social companies that exist in the space currently? Do you think do you think they're there to stay? Do you think they're going to have the the staying power Facebook has had? on social or do you think um, you think there's going to be a new iteration of you know a, a three second sound clip that everybody's <laughs> excited about instead of a 15 you know um, my general take on that is first of all I get a lot of I get the question you know do we really need to do Instagram reels do we really need to do YouTube shorts you know shouldn't we just focus on TikTok and I always answer with like trust me guys Facebook and Google are not just going to say, oh, TikTok, you won. We give up. No one's going to say that. They have an arsenal of, of capital that they will deploy to compete with TikTok until, until the bitter end. Short form is here to stay. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, will the, the usage and the functionality change sure i mean uh tiktok's already experimenting with longer videos uh i'm sure there's going to be a, a shorter video scenario uh, i can't think of the name of the app right now but this one app that i am fascinated with is basically it prompts you it'll give you a prompt of a certain time of day that you can post so it'll send you a notification and say you've got to post at this time and that's the only window that you can post and everyone can see it if you've posted so you can't you can't really be like a a perfect content creator where you're crafting your thing. It's just like in real life in the moment kind of posting. I think that kind of stuff is cool. That's anxiety. Inducing. Oh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, well for the gen, for Gen Z, who's like, you know, they're consuming everything from their phone, from their device, you know, they're always on it. So they get that notification that they know they can be famous if they make it huge on that app or whatever. I think it's great. So I think we're in store for a lot, but I would say short form is here to stay at least, you know, for the next five to 10 years, yeah, I, I think it's too early to weigh in on metaverse kind of conversations, but I think you have to eyeball that too. And, and I mean, obviously, I don't think you can be in this business right now without paying attention to NFTs and, and keeping an eye on Web3 um, to try to figure out how this all works out for the business moving down down the road. Is I'm sure you're not immune yeah. to that, no, those discussions. No. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, NFTs, that's gonna be a massive movement. It's, it, and it's because it's going to be a new revenue stream for artists and, and and IP holders. It's That's what's gonna be fascinating about this. And I think it is really early for, an, I personally believe, depending on the size of your fan base, it is kind of early to, if you, if you told me artist I have 50 hours a week to spend on social media and NFTs and my web point, my web three strategy and touring and, and writing, I would say, you know, don't make your NFT strategy like your number one priority, but don't, don't not work on it. Because I, I do think that that is going to be a massive leverage point in the future for acquiring new fans and developing, you know, your fan base in the future. Well, the neat thing about it from what I can see is, is that it, it really is 
foc- focused on direct to fan. It is it is the ultimate fan experience in in whatever iteration it is, yeah. um, whether the fans can afford it or not. Yeah. But that's really really fascinating. So um, I want to back up to you a little bit. So <laughs> I was doing my homework on you, Mr. Clorty. Oh man. And uh, you were featured in an article that your alma mater put out where you were quoted saying that your number one rule in life (laughs) is to break the rules, which I really like. I I have a number one. My number one rule is take the meeting. I think think that, and I tell all all of my employees and anyone who will listen, there's so much good that can come in meeting people and in in interacting with people and and not being too good to take the meeting. Um, But your number one rule is much more fun, it sounds like. Um, So where did this come from, A? And B, I would love to know how how did you apply this um, in the way you approach business from, I'm sure from starting business, you broke the rules by creating a business in a space that where there was not competition um but but how do you how do you apply this to your success because listen you you are you know quite quite successful you know in this business bar none i almost said for your age but i'm not going to be ageist about this yeah you're a success you've built a fantastic business and and the fact that every major label you know has you on in their rolodex rolodex as a you know as an asset that's needed on these campaigns speaks a lot to you and to your fantastic staff mm-hmm. and so how does this rule play into what you do wow man first of all i need to hire someone to like go through google and you know watch out for that but uh I'll say this first. I definitely want to do a quick shout out to Jason McCall and Carrie Shea Showalter and Monica Seathrum because it started, it really started there when I was at Belmont. I, uh, I got connected and connected with a couple of uh, like a mentorship opportunity for, for younger students. And I, I, they would ask me like, you know, what is the advice that you would give us and this and that. And, um, I started, I was a high school dropout. Uh, I went back, I begged my dean to let me back in, but I did drop out of high school. Uh, And after the uh, school of hard knocks really got to me, begged my principal or dean, whatever, to let me back in. I did not take the normal route of just going to college. I didn't start college till I was 21. I didn't graduate Belmont till I was 24 or 25. And uh, I didn't take that traditional route. And a lot of the, I think there's there's institutions in place that make you as a as a professional or entrepreneur live in certain confines and live under certain parameters. And so I remember speaking with, you know, this group and that's what came out. And I really stuck that as kind of my motto, because I think a lot of times we get we think that we can't change these scenarios around us and that we're and, and that creates us to become a victim of the environment around us when we don't think that we can change that. Uh, and I've always just been a, an advocate for the fact that you you set your own destiny. You define what, what success is to you and you define what outcomes come your way. And I know sometimes a lot of people are like, well, you can't really, you know, define outcomes. You can't really set the pace. But there are people that, you know, kind of make their own luck sometimes or at least stack the deck in their favor. Do they always win? No. But because they don't look at life as, you know, I'm Bob 
boxed into this scenario, they're able to to put themselves in a position to win. So that's really what that means. And, um, you know, I think going back to, you know, you're asking about how do I apply that in life? How do I apply that in, in business? And I think it really goes back to the 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 start of Songfluencer. I can't tell you enough that when people started to see what I was doing and my co-founder, Sean, that we were getting these, you know, influencers on social media to promote tracks, people would, were calling us like crazy. And in the back of my head, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here, but if, if I don't figure it out, someone else will, you know? And so you deal with problems as they come, you break those rules. Typically, if I was in some cookie cutter class at a college university, they'd say, you know, you need to have your business completely buttoned up and you need to have the guidelines completely figured out. No, that's not how I roll. Like we're going to figure this out in real time. And the artists that, you know, I was working with early on knew what I was doing. You know, they knew like, okay, we got to figure this out. We got to figure that out. Johnny doesn't know everything about this This is a brand new space, but he's going to help me figure out what I need to figure out. Yeah, it's it's hard to write a a, a business plan in a constantly evolving uh, space. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know. It sounds like break the rules uh, is tantamount to be disruptive. Yeah, which I which I really like. And when you think about the greatest, really the greatest entrepreneurs out there, sometimes you got to put. Sometimes you got to say things simply, you know, to get people to you know to really grasp on it. No, I I love that. Um, Great. So we're we're almost out of time, but but I have a couple of things I want to run through with you here um time flies when you're having fun the so looking towards the future of songfluencer of of johnny what are you most excited about oh man um frankly like i i really as much as i love music and i love like the technology products and things that we're working on one of the things that i'm most excited about and that just pulls on my heartstrings a lot is leading a team I can't tell you enough that uh, the ability to mentor, the ability to work alongside and help my team become the best visions or versions of themselves that they want to be, that that gets me going in the morning. Yes, the projects, the cool things, having an awesome record label send me a new song that they want to break and they trust me to do it, that's cool. But really working alongside awesome people that want to better themselves and they trust me to help get them there. That's what I like most. That's awesome. Great answer. Um, okay. <laughs> These are my standard last three questions. Damn. You ready for it? Let's go. This is, this is standard across all executive profiles this season on music industry 360. What is the biggest challenge facing the music industry in 2022 and how will we overcome it? don't have the answer for how we'll overcome it, but uh, back to the disruption conversation, I think the biggest problem right now is that technology and platforms are evolving and developing quicker than the music industry is willing to change. Um, and, and I get why I definitely do, you know, like one of the biggest things a few years ago was like wanting to have YouTube creators use music and content holders said, look, we can't do that because we need that content creator to pay for this music. 
on the label side, the label, the digital digital marketing team was saying, yeah, but this person has 5 million people that are going to watch this video. So how do you weigh the benefits and the costs and the ROI on that? You know, those kind of conversations of like, how are we going to, how can we responsibly ease up on, um, on content restrictions, I think is going to be huge as social becomes more impactful. I mean, terrestrial radio, I, 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 you know, I think we know the writings on the walls. It's getting the opportunities are becoming slimmer. It's becoming much more difficult to to get on the radio. And, you know, even five to 10 years ago when I was booking shows for radio acts, I, I would work artists that were in top 20 that couldn't sell tickets. Mm-hmm. So how many people are actually listening to the radio? So I think we really have to lean into these platforms. And I think the, the the artists and the labels that are going to uh, prosper in the future are going to be the ones that are able to adapt and evolve to emerging technologies. Yeah, I really, I, I was in the licensing space when a lot of these things were happening. Yeah, you hit, you're right, it, in the, right in the center of it. Well, and you have, you have competing interests. You know, you have a licensing department, a sync licensing department, who's told to earn money by selling licenses for the use of content. And then you've got a marketing department saying, wait, 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 wait. this is really great exposure. <laughs> and the problem is exposure doesn't hit those, uh, those departmental sales goals. And so it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because I, I, I've always thought it's the convergence of, of, of what we do business wise with what we are doing creatively is tough. Right. And there's sacrifices that have to be made on both sides. That's a great answer. Um, okay. Second to last question here. Who is your favorite current band or musician you're oh, listening man. to? Who is it? Because you have you have all the advances on every cool thing coming out from all the majors. I wish I had access to your inbox and the advanced <laughs> listens that you've probably had in front of you. Um, but uh, you know, label label agnostic here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your what's the favorite thing you're listening to right now? Yeah, I would say from a not only from a music standpoint but just a respect standpoint. I over the last couple years I've really dove in headfirst into the Latin music genre, especially like reggaeton and and where that genre is going. So uh, a few years ago I I learned about Daddy Yankee, which led me into hearing about J Balvin and Maluma, and now like Sebastian Yatra is one of my f- absolute favorites. Um, uh, who else? There's like Ovi on the drums. He's on these things. Becky G, really big fan of that. Uh, and of course, Bad Bunny. I went to, I remember going to Puerto Rico about a year ago and got to see like people losing their minds in some like dance club over Bad Bunny. And ever since that, I was totally sold. I think that genre is insane. Uh, as far as a band that really pulls on my personal heartstrings that I, I love and I just, I think the guy is so talented is Rex Orange County. If you've right. ever heard of Rex Orange County, just incredibly talented. It's rock, it's pop, it's he goes off into key changes and different things and it's just, it's so cool but it's mainstream. Love him too but Latin music has been a, a forefront of mine. It, it really has exploded. I think, I think it's still the fastest growing genre in the United uh, States if not the world. It, not going to slow down anytime soon. But, I, but I, lo- I love that you evoked the Bad Bunny name um, oh, as, a, as a Bad Bunny is, a, is an alumnus of symphonic distribution. Oh, 
Nation. We, we, we love him and, and that, that entire crew over there dearly. I actually, when I first started with the company, one of the very first shows I saw was a Jay Balvin show um, with my president and CEO, founder Jorge Brea. And um, it's it's a party. It's a party from the start to the end. It is, it's one of the most energetic shows I think I've ever been to in my life down at South by Southwest. And it was just unreal. Just the level of intensity coming off of that stage. It was electric. And it really, and I don't say that lightly. I mean, I've been to too many shows. I mean, I can forget a lot of shows I've been to, but it was absolutely Absolutely off the chain. Yeah. Um, definitely undeniable in that genre. Um, last but certainly not least, and maybe the most important question I'll ask you all day today: pizza or Chinese food? Chinese. Wow. Not even a delay. No, no. Uh, I think I'd have to go Asian all the way, man. That's that's just. I don't know. I mean, Desano's down the road. If that we see, it's not fair. We have to. Where Chinese? If Panda Express, no, no, no. I'll, I'll take pizza every day. So you're not you're not the first one to bring up the location thing because Portia yeah. Sabin, who we had on an earlier podcast, she said it's really tough for her because she spent so much time in New York. She's a New Ooh. Yorker, and so it depends on what block you're on for <laughs> for pizza versus Chinese. But but what about you, you Randall? Well, me, man, you know, I, I'm the one that asks these questions, and so <laughs> I don't have to answer them. <laughs> so uh, you know, it, I I don't ignore either of either of the food genres that we're talking about though um well johnny it's been a pleasure to have you on here today once again everyone songfluencer.com you can go sign up for his um newsletter which is which is incredible what what what's what's the frequency of the newsletter i can't remember once a week once a week um so it won't wear out your inbox but you'll get great insights on tiktok and other influencer marketing ideas and uh and i just think the world of this guy i think he's built something really incredible here and thank you for sharing your expertise with uh, with us here today absolutely guys it's been awesome thanks for having me great well once again this is randall foster with music industry 360 podcast thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time around <laughs>